Please rise in body or spirit for the reading of the gospel. The gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to Mark chapter 8, verses 31 to 38. Then he began to teach them that the Son of Man must undergo great suffering and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests, and the scribes, and be killed, and after three days rise again. He said all this quite openly, and Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. But turning and looking at his disciples, he rebuked Peter and said, Get behind me, Satan, for you are setting your mind not on divine things, but on human things. He called the crowd with his disciples and said to them, If any want to become my followers, let them deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For those who want to save their life will lose it, and those who lose their life for my sake and for the sake of the gospel will save it. For what will it profit them to gain the whole world and forfeit their life? Indeed, what can they give in return for their life? Those who are ashamed of me and of my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of them the Son of Man will also be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. The Gospel of the Lord. It's good to see folks that I haven't seen for a while here this morning. Um, it's when I sat down uh, and and I was kind of starting to to pray and, and and think through the service right as we were getting um, the pews kind of filled in after that. And so when I got up the the first time to to share announcements, I gotta say I was a little taken aback by how many of you were here, and so it's good to see you. Uh, and we're glad for those that can continue to join us online. You know, last week we looked at uh, the stories of Jesus' baptism as he uh, identifies with a repentant people of Israel, and then he comes out of that baptism and goes directly into the wilderness, further identifying with uh, the Old Testament story and the people who had wandered through the wilderness. And Jesus emerges from those experiences and begins to proclaim the good news of the kingdom of God. And what continues then to happen in Mark's version of the gospel is that Jesus goes around and he's performing all kinds of miracles uh, with, with people. And in particular, Mark uh, stresses a, a number of exorcisms of, of Jesus driving out demons in, that are impacting individuals' lives. It is Mark's way of kind of highlighting that part of what Jesus is doing is driving out the evil forces at work in our world, which are being personified in these individuals. And so Jesus is casting out demons. He is healing people. He is, in fact, healing the world of its uh, demonic possession. Our story this morning, the, the scripture uh, from the Gospels this morning, is actually sandwiched between 
two stories of Jesus healing, and in particular, healing a sight. And so in Mark uh, 8, 22 through 26, we see Jesus restoring the sight uh, of a man by, by spitting on his eyes. It's not a very COVID-19 friendly kind of story for sure. Uh, and yet Jesus is using a physical means, um, living out, uh, showing people that it is his work that is causing this healing. And, and he, he spits on the guy's eyes and, and he asks him, do you see? And he says, well, I see people, but they look like trees. And Jesus has to take a further step to fully restore the man's sight. Uh, we're going to see a, a two-step process in revealing sight here uh, later this morning. Later, uh, at the end of this section in Mark, Jesus restores the sight of a man named Bartimaeus. And what is happening between these two stories of Jesus restoring sight is that people are starting to see with their physical eyes, but also with the eyes of their heart, what Jesus is really up to. They're starting to see what Jesus is about. And so as we take a look at how our scripture this morning is revealing uh, our, our sight and revealing how we see Jesus, let's pray together. Lord, open our eyes to see the way that you are working in our midst. Open our ears to hear your word. May the words of my mouth and meditation of our hearts be pleasing to you. Would you speak through me or despite me this morning? Amen. Well, just before our passage, just before what, what Katie read for us this morning, Jesus is with his disciples, and he asks them, you know, I've, I've been going around, I've been healing people, um, we, we've been interacting with the people. Who do the people think I am? Who do they see me as? And the disciples respond, well, some think that you are John the Baptist, resurrected. Remember, by this point in the story, John has, has been beheaded. Uh, and so they, some think that he is uh, John the Baptist come back to life. They say others believe that you are Elijah or maybe one of the other Old Testament prophets. That's who some of the people see you as. Jesus stops and asks them, well, who do you say I am? And in this moment, Peter is starting to catch a glimpse of who Jesus is. And Peter responds, you are the Messiah. And Jesus actually warns them, kind of rather sternly, not to go and tell anyone about this. This actually happens a number of times in Mark, where Jesus heals people and then says, don't go tell anyone. And many of them don't really actually listen to Jesus, and they go and they start telling others about what Jesus is doing. And I've often wondered, why does Jesus not want them to, to go and, and tell everyone? Why, I, you know, aren't we supposed to spread the good news? Why would Jesus want anyone to, to not go and tell about the healing? Why would he not want the disciples to go and share that he is the Messiah? Practically speaking, Jesus is buying time. A new Messiah, a, a new, a, a new uh, 
Savior come to deliver the people is a sure sentence of death. And so Jesus is actually trying to just to buy some time here to, to continue to uh, preach and speak and, and teach about the good news of the kingdom of God. Peter and the disciples, though, are starting to see who Jesus is. But it's clear from our passage that they have an incomplete picture of who Jesus is. And so just as Jesus kind of needed a two-step process to restore the man's physical sight, in this couple of stories, Jesus is going to need a couple of different instances of teaching the disciples how to really see what Jesus is up to. In the next verses, what we heard read from the gospel this morning, Jesus begins to lay out the pattern of his mission, which includes suffering and rejection, death and resurrection. And certainly the suffering, the rejection and the death don't fit into Peter's framework for the Messiah. He doesn't understand how any of these could play into Jesus coming in, in his model of Messiah. He's expecting someone to come and, and fight and, and, and throw off the oppression through force and through violence. The suffering servant, part of pro, uh, Isaiah's vision of the suffering servant, doesn't seem to play into Peter's vision for Jesus. And so Peter actually rebukes Jesus. He takes him kind of to the side and says, well, hold on a second. I, you, can't, you can't be saying these things. Certainly this is not true. You've you got to have some serious, uh, you know, the Jewish word would be chutzpah. You've got to have some serious guts or serious something for, for Peter to go from, uh, you know, Jesus saying something like, attaboy, Peter, you figured it out to correcting his teacher, to correcting Jesus. That takes a lot of guts. Peter's a little too big for his britches here. And it's interesting to me that some of the people uh, are identifying Jesus as John the Baptist, as Elijah, and other prophets. Because let's face it, if you look at the stories of these folks, uh, things don't tend to turn out too well for the physical well-being for the people in this group. John has just been beheaded. If you go back into the Old Testament and you read the stories of Elijah, they are, he's being uh, persecuted, he's being ostracized, he's being uh, re rejected, uh, his physical well-being, he's running for his life, all of this. The other Old Testament prophets, their physical well-being is, is, uh, is not good. And yet Peter is shocked and dismayed when Jesus tells them that this pattern is how his life will go. That the way to life is through death. And so Jesus responds. He looks, he looks back at the, the rest of the disciples, but he says, Get behind me, Satan, for you are setting your mind not on divine things, but on human things. Jesus is telling Peter in this moment, get out of my way. Get out of my way. 
You don't see the bigger picture. You don't see the full mission here. You don't see the full way that I'm living into this Messiah thing. Don't interrupt my mission. Jesus goes on to say to the crowd, if any want to become my followers, let them deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. Jesus is essentially saying, those interested most in just preserving their life in the here and the now are going to miss out on what real life is. And when I say real life, I'm also talking about life after death, but I'm also talking about life in the here and the now. That if we're only focused on preserving myself, preserving my own power, preserving my own wealth, if I'm preserving my own uh, rank in society, my own welfare, if that's all I'm focused on, I'm going to miss the life that Jesus has called me to. I'm going to miss out on serving others. I'm going to miss out on real, intimate relationship with others and with God if I'm only focused on preserving myself. Instead, Jesus says, those who want to experience real life in the here and the now and the forever need to be willing to give up everything to follow Jesus. Now, I have to tell you that I've, I've read this passage lots of times. I've heard it preached lots of times. I've preached it before. And I read these verses, and it's a struggle for me. I find that uh, I understand what the words mean. I think I understand what Jesus is saying. And yet in practice, I still want a Jesus that will come in power and solve the problems of the world, solve my problems like that. Who will come and, and instantly change everything rather than a Messiah that humbles himself to come near the broken. I'm not so sure how willing I actually am to carry a cross. And to be honest, I'm not always sure I know exactly what that means for me to carry a cross. New Testament uh, scholar Brendan Byrne says, uh, says this, the fact that a disciple, talking about Peter, who has just got something so splendidly right, straightaway stumbles so badly at the thought of suffering, can be an encouragement, a recognition in the Gospels that we all do badly at suffering. Jesus is going to work through the way of the suffering servant, through that pattern, through... through um, being rejected, through being ostracized, through death, through resurrection. He's going to work in that pattern, not outside of it. Byrne also points out that each time we face suffering, 
We've, we've been walking through a lot in this last year. Each time we face suffering, it is an invitation to follow Jesus rather than stand in His way. So I have been thinking this week about what ways maybe I stand in the way of Jesus. I think one of the ways that I stand in the way of Jesus is by demanding that Jesus work in a way that I pre-approve. Jesus, you need to follow my program. You need to impact the world in the way that, that I understand and that I'm ready for and that I approve. Get out of my way. Maybe I stand in the way of Jesus by failing to listen and respond to God's calling. I hear it, I see it, but I don't have time. I've got other priorities. doesn't fit my pre-approved plan. Again, Jesus might say, get out of my way. By re- maybe another way I stand in the way of Jesus is by refusing to follow the pattern of Jesus' downward mobility. That Jesus empties himself of everything, leaving the Father, coming down and being with us in the muck and the mire and the mess. You know, I read this passage as one who, you know, has a certain amount of of power in society and in the church. You know, I'm I'm the pastor. And yet Jesus invites us into the pattern of downward mobility, of emptying ourselves of that power and that privilege and, and those standings in life and to learn to stop worrying about self-preservation and find a cross. Or find someone who is already bearing a cross and bear it with them. I've also been thinking this week about those that don't have to go looking for a cross. What about those who find themselves already at the bottom of society, who are already bearing a cross? What is the the good news for them? The good news is that Jesus bears the cross with you, and the good news is supposed to be that there's lots of people in the church that that don't already have a cross, and we're supposed to be coming alongside one another and bearing the cross with you. I have to confess I don't always do that. If we want to follow Jesus, he says the way to life, to real life, life as it was meant to be, life liberated from oppression and sin, life in renewed relationship with other human beings, life in renewed relationship with God who longs to be restored with us. The way to that life is through a willingness to lay down our lives, to lay down our agendas, to lay down our motives of self-preservation, 
of seeking power over rather than figuring out ways to use the power we have to come under and support others. Let us learn to follow the way of Jesus, not shying away from the pattern of self-sacrificial service and love for the good of others. If we're ashamed of following the pattern of Jesus, if we're ashamed of claiming and living in the way of Jesus, I don't want to let my father down. And we mess up, and yet we want to honor what God and what our Savior is calling us to. And the pattern of life that Jesus demonstrates in calling us to take up our cross. I have to confess that I often get in Jesus' way. Because I'm not always fond of Jesus' pattern. I'm not always fond of being called to take up that cross or to bear it with others. Are we standing in Jesus' way? Or are we willing to follow after him? Would you stand as you are able, in body or spirit, to receive an invitation to follow Christ? Abandon the illusion you are a self-contained individual. Be a part of this wounded world and find yourself with Christ. Set aside your own desires. Give yourself fully for others. Be the hands and heart of Jesus. Renounce self-protection, accept your brokenness, and reach out for love. Let go of your own plans. Join in the healing of the world. You will not be alone. Follow your soul, not your ego. Follow it right into people's suffering. Follow it right into the heart of God. Pour yourself out and let the world pour in. Then you are one with the beloved. While you're standing here just a second, we've introduced some practices over Lent, and we're, we're going to continue this. And, and maybe this one feels a little strange to some of us, uh, but in some Christian traditions, they make the sign of the cross on their bodies after praying, in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. It is not just a ritual, it is a way of reminding us of the pattern of the cross, a way of reminding us that we walk and follow Jesus, that we are called to take up that cross and follow him. I'm inviting you to do that maybe over Lent. I know it feels strange to many of us, um, but it is a way of reminding us of our connection to the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, and that uh, way of living that we are called to. And so would you receive the benediction? May we learn to take up our cross and follow him. May we not be ashamed of the way of the suffering servant 
And may we see that the power of Jesus and the beloved community of the body of Christ goes with us to make the yoke easy and the burden light. Amen. Go in peace.